A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It is Saturday night as we prepare for Middle Sunday and it has been another thrilling day here at Wimbledon. So many storylines. Petra Kvitova, the defending champion, has gone. Dustin Brown, remember him? He's no more. James Ward was valiant in his five-set thriller with Vasek Pospisil, but he's lost. And Andy Murray and Roger Federer both lost a set but survived. I'm David Law, part of the Five Live Tennis team. I'm also the presenter of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We are supported by B. NP Parabar, the bank for a changing world, and alongside me tonight as the sun starts to set once more is Catherine Whitaker and Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing, Charlie? Very well, thank you. How are you? Oh, you're becoming a regular now, aren't you? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I hope so, anyway. Excellent. Well, we like that. Uh, Catherine Whitaker today losing Petra Kvitova. My word, the defending champion at the third round stage. That is careless from Wimbledon. <laughs> careless from Wimbledon, crikey. Uh, careless from Petra Kvitova, I'd say. I mean, I saw your tweets during the match, and I think you were right. She doesn't enjoy playing in the heat. I mean, not that it was, as all the players have been saying, not that it was crazy hot today. It was just, you know, reasonably warm. Uh, but she did look hot and bothered. She really did. And that the point where she stopped play to challenge, I mean, that did did smack of somebody that just wasn't thinking quite straight didn't hadn't screwed their head on properly that morning and and I, I sort of watched it all unfolding and thought okay Yankovic has won a set that's that's good she's but I mean obviously normal service will be resumed and then it all of a sudden it just happened and Petro Kvitova was out and it was all just I still don't quite know what happened there it shows how Petra Kvitova is a little bit fragile psychologically just at the moment in terms of her belief because she was in such sensational form in the first two rounds she looked as if she was about to just dispose of the world number one from years gone by in double quick time and then suddenly a little blip and it all went awry yeah it was amazing it was amazing how quickly it all fell apart wasn't it it makes you wonder if you know the the women that she'd beaten previously if they could have just mustered a, a slight you know challenge maybe the same would maybe that's all it takes you know just at the moment if you say maybe she is uh frail enough that you know if you just put that seed of doubt in her mind it does all fall to pieces i'm sure that's only temporary um but uh, all, they, all that talk about Kvitova not being as inconsistent as she once was now, now uh, feels like a distant memory, doesn't it? Certainly does. Charlie Eccleshare from The Telegraph. What does that do for the newspaper t- for tomorrow? I mean, is that a big story on your newspaper's pages tomorrow? 
It's a big story. It also slightly alters. We had a kind of midweek predictions from our writers on who was going to win the women's draw, and quite a few people uh, had gone for Kvitova. So uh, <laughs> they had to rethink that slightly. It is a big story. Um, I don't think big enough to overtake kind of um, the Ward-Murray double kind of uh, focus on Britain. Um, but it is still big, and I mean, it opens up the draw massively on that side for a, maybe a surprise contender to come through and reach the final. Let's talk about Andy Murray, Catherine, because I've just come out of the, the Five Live commentary box watching what was really a weird match. I, I, Andy Murray was in total control, two sets to love up, 6-2, 6-2, playing sublime tennis, the sort of tennis that won him the title at Queen's. And then suddenly uh, an injury timeout for Andreas Seppi, 2-1 up in the third. And Andy Murray just seemed to completely lose his concentration for a start and, and lose his timing and then started to feel some pain in his shoulder. And Charlie and I were just talking before we started the tennis podcast tonight. And I wondered, when we, I haven't heard Andy Murray's press conference yet, I wondered whether that was maybe a little bit of tension uh, in, in the body that has manifested itself as, as cramp or a trapped nerve or something like that. Well, we've seen that happen before, haven't we? He he feels something and he panics, I think. He panics in mind and in body. I think his body uh, instantly tenses up at, at sort of this, the, the sign of a twinge. I think it's probably um, betrays a sort of deep down lack of confidence in his body. It, some, something that a Roger Federer doesn't have. He has utter confidence in his body. Even, even at the age of, you know, 34, he's... He's got a slightly pain, bad back, but still nothing. You know, he's 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 basically flawless body-wise. Whereas Andy Murray is injury-prone and always has been injury-prone, and I think that's possibly why he feels something. It's the big stage. He panics. He sort of goes into mind and body shock, and it feels worse than it is. And if he can just pay, play through it, I mean, that fourth set was absurd, really, wasn't it? He he came out from that injury timeout, which looked pretty serious at the time he was having all sorts done to him and I don't know but either the physio is a miracle worker or all that needed to happen was for him to play through it and maybe relax a little maybe relax a bit exactly he really was starting to hit through his shots and Seppi barely won another point are you worried at all based on the fact that Andy Murray's lost a set and he had those twinges no because Roger Federer lost a set as well and he looked basically superb it's just it's easy to lose a set against somebody that that plays as brilliantly as Sam Groth isn't it goes to a tie break that happens no I'm not worried full stop now next up six feet 11 inch tall Croatian Ivo Karlovic the biggest serve in the sport he hits 40 aces with his eyes shut Charlie you've been watching him yeah I was watching him out on court three um yeah, he's a he's a very, very difficult player to play against because you get absolutely zero rhythm. Uh, he's averaging more than 45 aces a match so far this tournament, which is staggering. He's got about 40 more aces than the nearest, and that's Isner, I think. I mean, what I will say, though, watching him and Songer today, the, the standard was not that high. I mean, they both served incredibly well, but... You know, often the rallies, not that there were many, were pretty limited. Uh, and I think Murray, I mean, Murray's won all five of their previous matches. He's very good against those big servers. And if you're the Murray camp, you look at the Anderson match from Queens as the kind of prototype. How do we deal with a huge server who has limitations elsewhere? There was a little bit of a contentious moment during that match, wasn't there? Because set point down, I think it was, Ivo Karlovic went for a volley, which he... He kind of hit twice uh, what is known as a double hit. But the question mark was, was it a, f a singular motion, in which case it would not be a penalty? Or was it actually him hitting it twice 
and volleying it over the net. Well, he was very clear on this. Uh, he said it was one motion, uh, what's the problem? And when you've got a guy six foot 11 sitting in front of you, none of us really were going to challenge him on that particularly. Uh, I have to say, watching it, uh, all of us who were there thought it was just a great volley. Um, we then came out and, um, and we heard about this. It, it is two movements, definitely. I mean, you watch it, he hits it, and then he hits it again, and it goes over. But you watched it in slow motion, correct? Absolutely. And, and I don't think, and to be fair, Songa was very magnanimous about it as well and said, you know, these things happen and the, ref didn't, the umpire didn't spot it, so you move on. Um, he got away with one, though, I think. I have to say, we, we put this to Pat Cash inside the Five Live commentary box, and, and I showed him that replay in slow motion. His view was that it was... It was one movement. Okay, maybe maybe he kind of adjusted that movement. He he was saying in the the way that he went for the ball that it was just a reaction. He wasn't trying to hit that twice and knock it over. So for him, he feels that that was not a call that the umpire could have made. I think that's fair. I mean, it was so marginal. I think for for the umpire to have stepped in there at that point, it would have been absolutely massive. And as I say, there wasn't a huge murmuring around the court it's the sort of thing that pre-vine pre-twitter and everyone pouring over these things in super slow motion we probably wouldn't be talking about it now probably not now they'll face each other on monday in the incredible order of play that we will have we haven't even got it yet they're still working it out who's going to play where well one of the reasons is because gail monfils against gilles simon hasn't even finished yet there's murmurings that that's moving on to center court underneath the roof underneath the lights because the light is fading here but you can go on until 11 o'clock of course local time at wimbledon because of the curfew when the lights and the roof are on so we'll find out who is going to be playing in the last 16 both the men's and the women's and where they'll play on Monday in due course. We'll bring that to you in tomorrow's bonus tennis podcast that we're going to be bringing you with an exclusive interview with Mats Velander, the great seven-time champion. And I'm not going to ask Catherine anything about it because otherwise she's just going to spill the beans because she did the interview and we want to hear it from the man himself, don't we, Catherine? Yeah, you should probably take the microphone away from me because I'm so, I'm so busting. to. T I mean, everything he says is just gold. And he doesn't say anything just to be controversial. He means it all. And uh, what I've learned from uh, working with Matt Solander a fair bit over the years is he is invariably right. I mean, really, seriously, he gets pretty much everything right. James, I know we're going to come on to James Orr, but when James Orr was two sets to one up, he just clinched the third set so the absolute peak of James Ward's performance today Matt said he's losing in five for sure and it's the certainty with which he says it it's not like well you know I was thinking oh well done James it's not quite in the bag though Matt is going he's losing this in five and he's right and he did the same with Heather Watson yesterday he does it about 15 times a day listen to what he has to say because it's amazing so subscribe on iTube subscribe on Android keep across the Telegraph website because Mats Verlander exclusively coming your way on a bonus tennis podcast on Sunday night he'll be talking Serena Williams he'll be talking Andy Murray you name it Mats Verlander's talking about it. We'll also slip in a little three-minute interview I did with John McEnroe just a few minutes ago as well. Now, today you mentioned James Ward. It was a shame, wasn't it, for him? He fought so hard, but also credit to Vasek Pospisil, looking that British crowd in the eye, taking them on and winning through. 
I think Vashok Pospisil dealt with that crowd quite admirably, actually. He, uh, he didn't let it get to him. He showed them respect. He didn't seem annoyed by it at all. He understood the situation, but didn't let it get to him. He, I saw, you know, in that fifth set when James Hall was trying to get the crowd pumped up, Vashok Pospisil was doing that, you know, jogging back to the uh, umpire's chair at the change of ends and jogging back to the baseline. He was just showing, you know, I'm still up for this. This isn't all about James Ward. And I think that counted for a lot. And... Um, I do think a lot of it had to do with stamina at the end. James Ward, did he looked tired to me. And it's understandable. He's played a lot of five-set matches. It's his first time into the third round of a slam. It's understandable, but I do think that's what made the difference in the end. Absolutely. Now, what else have we had today to enjoy? Roger Federer, we mentioned earlier on, lost a set against the huge-serving Sam Groth. But... Again, a little bit like Murray, Charlie. I, I don't think anybody's particularly perturbed by the fact that Roger Federer lost a set. He, he still looks great. He does. I mean, you, you look at that match as well, and um, I think he lost 20 points in 21 service games, Federer. I mean, he's serving beautifully. He lost a tie break, one mini break in it, which was a double fault. Uh, and as Catherine said, that, that can happen to anyone. Federer, he looks good, he looks solid. One thing I will say with Federer, I think often we get carried away after the first week and, you know, I think we so want him to be back to his best, you so often hear. And I think it's just important with Federer to reserve judgment a little because he has often looked brilliant in the first week in the last couple of years and then we'll go out in the quarters and everyone looks a little bit silly for going overboard. So I think, you know, let's see next week when he starts, starts playing people of a slightly higher standard. Talking about looking a bit silly, I've had a terrible day in the predictions today. I, I said Camilla Georgie to beat Caroline Wozniacki in straight sets, and she got an absolute pasting, Catherine. Don't think anyone's had a great day, have they? Was anybody predicting Petra Kvitova to lose? I don't think so. No, I did get Dustin Brown going out right there, didn't I? We all did, David. We all did. Let Hold on. What? Well, no, no. what were you going to say, Charlie? Well, I was going to say, I've made one prediction so far, and that was Ward would lose in five sets. And, uh, and so it proved. Charlie, you're not allowed to do the predictions. We've already gone over this. Now, what else has happened today? Catherine Whittaker of note, because I can't remember too much about the rest of the day. It's been such a long one. Uh, wins for uh, Tomei Bashinsky, Madison Keys. Uh, All with a great opportunity now, aren't they? With a fantastic opportunity. Eyes are sort of on both of those two, aren't they? Particularly Madison Keys. I think, is why can't she do it on grass? And already eyes on Serena and Venus. So much talk. I mean, three days worth of build-up for that. And it's it's almost not enough because it really it is. I mean, it's the one, isn't it? It sure is. What a, what a huge occasion that will be. Serena Williams against Venus Williams. That is coming your way on Monday. And that one's going to be on centre court. It surely has to be on centre. They haven't played each other here for six years. And they've played four finals, though, and five matches overall. What, what are your thoughts on that one, Charlie? Well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall kind of uh, in, in the Williams camp over the weekend and see how much they're discussing it, if it's a complete elephant in the room. Um, I'd love to know how... How open and upfront they are with each other before these types of matches. There's so much riding on it. I know we spoke about it yesterday, and Serena was being very deferential to her older sister and saying Venus is the one in in the better form. 
I still think Serena will have too much myself, but I, I just hope it's a good match. I hope it's a three-setter. I hope it's close and, and that you can see them both, you know, that Serena looks as if she's going for it as much as she does against everyone else. I'm, I'm going to give myself 24 hours before I make my prediction on that one, Catherine, but i am just got a sneaky feeling for Venus at the moment. I know. Well, do you know what? She's right. Serena's right. Venus is in better form. It's just whether that carries through into the match, whether that's necessarily relevant in, in, in the match. I mean, form... Serena seems to sort of transcend form, doesn't she? When she won the French Open in not particularly great form, so but she's right. I don't think that's game playing saying Venus is in better form. She is, she's played better so far this tournament. Hey, do you know we've had an email about the all white rule conversation that we uh, we had yesterday, and it is a very, very nice email. It is from Anna who says, Dear David, dear Catherine. It can be very difficult to follow a match without any visible clues to tell one player from the other. Imagine a football match with 22 identical players. There's a good reason the teams are made to wear different colours. It's perhaps easy enough when it's Serena Williams versus a white woman or Federer Nadal where you can recognise them by their playing style. But I'm currently watching a replay of Wozniacki Georgie and I can't tell them apart from a distance. They're both blonde, their dresses are similar, a tiny trim of colour does nothing when the players are three centimetres tall on my screen. Generally speaking the all-white rule at Wimbledon means I find myself looking more at the players trying to identify them than at the actual tennis it's simply unnecessarily confusing if nothing else the all-England club should allow the players to wear green or purple hats or headbands well do you know that's not a factor that I'd probably considered enough when making my job I think that's a good point well made frankly I think I mean I've always sort of been in favour of players having their names written on the back of their shirts I know there'd be all sorts of issues with that um, certainly in doubles they absolutely should have their names written on the back of their shirts but uh, that would be off the top of my head that would be my solution to that problem rather than to change the all white rule I'm not asking Charlie because Charlie thinks the all-white rule's too strict. We already know that. I'm not budging, Anna. I appreciate your email, but I'm still sticking with this. I think it differentiates Wimbledon from the rest of the tournaments, and I'm not budging because I'm stubborn. Now, what do we think is going to happen on Monday? We've got Murray Karlovich. We've got what, who's Federer playing in the fourth round? Roberto Battista Agu, who doesn't have much of a pedigree on grass. Um, and I saw him last year on centre court against Murray, and Murray absolutely trounced him. I think that's going to be another easy straight sets win for Federer. And Djokovic, the top seed in the men's draw. Who's Novak Djokovic he, got? He plays Kevin Anderson, or big serving Kevin Anderson, to give him his official name. Um, again, I think Djokovic is just too smart for that kind of match. I, I, I think the difficulty that guys like Karlovic and Anderson have is they're so used to not much coming back. It's very difficult, and we saw it in the Queen's final for someone like Anderson. All of a sudden, a lot of serves are coming back, and you're being asked different questions. You know, you ha how's your second? How's your first volley? How's your second volley? And I think Djokovic will make him hit too many shots and win that in probably three tight sets. Yeah, I, I think I share the opinion there. What do you think, Catherine? I do. I actually almost think. I mean, as much as I'm desperately looking forward to Monday and I think there probably will be some surprise good matches in there I think on paper some of the fourth round matchups are less appetising than some of the th third round matchups we've seen I mean as we say currently on court Monfils versus Simon that's sort of a grand slam quarter or semi-final really isn't it uh, Raonic uh, Kyrgios so, I mean just so many of those third round matchups were disproportionately tasty I think so I, I actually think the top seeds are going to have a slightly easier ride of it perhaps on Monday, certainly in the men's side. I think uh, Kyrgios Gasquet stands out as probably the most tantalising one and the hardest one to predict as well. 
Uh, Gasquet has won all three matches straight sets and comfortable straight sets wins as well. Kyrgios has looked mercurial, you know, brilliant at times, completely wayward at others. I think that, that, that should be a really, really interesting match. I, I'm, I can't say anything too detailed. I'm not going to make a prediction on that, but do listen to Sunday's podcast for Mats Verlander's views on Nick Kyrgios. You won't regret it. Catherine Whitaker with a teaser there. It's thrilling to think about, isn't it? Mats Verlander's coming your way on the tennis podcast. The lights are starting to come on now at Wimbledon, all around the grounds, because it is getting dark. It is getting murky. It is late. What time is it at the moment? <laughs> 9.30 in the evening. I think it's my bedtime. I've lost track of time here. Yeah, I have, absolutely. But thank you for your company, everybody, for listening to us on the Tennis Podcast. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Do keep across The Telegraph's coverage throughout the weekend. It is going to be something to really enjoy. We are supported by BNP Paribas, the bank for a changing world. Go and have a look at wearetennis.com. It's middle Sunday. That means we get a day off here. But we're still bringing you a tennis podcast. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now. And we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of Real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.